The presenting sponsor of EcoCheck with the IDM is RPG Research. RPG Research is a volunteer-run, nonprofit 501c3 research and human services charitable organization providing a public research repository and studies the effects of all role-playing game formats, accessibility, and inclusiveness considerations for role-playing gamers. The founder of RPG Research is Hawk Robinson, and he has been wonderfully supportive of my creative efforts over the years and previously appeared as a guest on EgoCheck back in January 2017 on Episode 7. So go back in time and check out our conversation about all the great work he's doing. Donations to RPG Research directly support research and community programs to help people improve lives. And more information for these programs can be found at rpgresearch.com slash donate. Before we get started with this week's interview, a quick reminder about No Assembly Required. No Assembly Required is a PDF that I created with the help of Limitless Adventures. It's a book of 10 detailed 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons monsters. And the book is complete with developer notes, backgrounds for the characters, stat blocks, and ideas for campaigns. And really, you could use these characters to really fuel quite a bit of ideas for the players uh, with your group. Uh, The nice thing about this book, uh, the PDF, is it costs $5. And every cent of that $5 goes to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Uh, I've spoken about this book in previous episodes. You can purchase a PDF of No Assembly Required through LimitlessAdventures.com. That's Limitless-Adventures.com. And on their site, you'll find a host of other wonderful 5th edition content, uh, new encounters, new monsters, new settings. They've recently released uh, settings for taking 5th edition rules and applying it to World War II settings, a superhero setting, and an 80s horror setting. Uh, I have those books uh at my house and excited to play them soon. So again, that's no assembly required. It's $5. You get some great D&D content and you're helping to promote suicide awareness and suicide prevention. On to the show. Welcome to another episode of Ego Check with the DM. I am your host, Michael Mallon, and joining me this week is Jace Nolan, likely more recognizable as Cinder Ascendant on both Twitch and Twitter. He's a Hearthstone caster, casually competitive player, graphic designer, was previously involved with Coin Concede, a Hearthstone podcast. I think you're no longer doing that show as often, correct? Uh, that's correct, yeah. And so we've been... Uh, interacting a bit more lately on Twitter uh, about uh, our shared interest in Dungeons and Dragons and other uh, role-playing games, tabletop games. And he actually collaborated on a silly bit of business during the holidays when I had the idea that, do they know it's Christmas? Some of the lyrics in there actually worked as a perfect tagline for a D&D module. <laughs> and you put all that together into a pretty brilliant fifth edition cover. <laughs> right. So, you know, my, my, my professional background when I'm, when I'm not behind a mic is, as noted, I, I, I'm trained as a graphic designer, uh, but uh, my focus is publications. Uh, so I've done many book covers and many, many book layouts over the years. So doing a, an alternate, alternate book cover was uh, kind of up my alley. So when you kind of Threw the idea into the ephemera, I snagged onto it, said, yeah, yeah, I could do this. This is totally doable. Yeah, so I was in, I think I was getting ready for work one day, and of course, every year, Do They Know It's Christmas just is ubiquitous. Right. I grew up with it. It's right in the wheelhouse in terms of when I was younger, back in the 80s. And I was just thinking, Bono's lyric is just perfect for the tagline of a module. Right. Uh, and then, you know, you had like the perfect art, too, uh, with like a Krampus yeah, you know, looking down upon a, a small town ready for uh, for the holidays, so it, it worked out. And the, and he's carrying like a sack of toys, but yeah. if you look closely at the sack of toys, there's eyes poking out of it, like he has a child in there. It was just right. genius. And you, I had mocked it up very crudely with a font, and I had put out this request over Twitter of like, hey, is anyone useful with pretty nifty with Photoshop? And uh, you you DM me, and we were going back and forth, and then. Pretty quickly, you put together what looks like it looks like it could be a wizard product. It's oh like, yeah, 
and I was worried about posting it because I'm like, they might get mad about this. Nah, <laughs> and, nah, I wouldn't think so. Nah, the, everyone was pretty cool. It, I was sort of, I thought it was going to gain more traction and be shared mm-hmm. more often. And we were chatting before the show about, you just never know what's going to take off. With right. People. And, and, you know, and some things resonate and some things don't. And, you know, maybe the maybe the reference was too obscure. Who knows? Uh, or, or it just takes a designer's eye to appreciate, you know, the the, the kind of mimicry that, that went into that uh, into that design. But, you know, it's it was still fun to do. And that's that's really what matters. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I I enjoyed it thoroughly. I, I got a laugh out of it. So, yeah, I guess just diving into uh, D&D since that's what we're talking about. How often yeah. do you get to play right now? How many groups uh, are you in? Do you DM? Are you a player? I am currently uh, the the DM of an Eberron campaign. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm borrowing heavily from some third edition uh, campaign material, uh, since it, it, there was there was a time in my life where where I just thought that the idea of using pre written adventures was just abhorrent, and I was always writing all my own material, and and I, I the, the older I got. The more time-consuming this got, and just mm-hmm. trying to work it or work it around work and other commitments and chores and things, so I kind of let go of that because it really is kind of a nonsensical hang-up, um, you know. Looking back at it, so you know, I said, "Hey, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna try this Ebron campaign with a with a with a, a pre-written adventure." So I started with, uh, it's the, I believe the first book is the Shadow of the Last War. Uh, and then that leads on into the second book, which is the Whispers of the Vampire's Blade, which is what I'm currently running uh, with a with a group of six online via Roll Twenty. Wow. So it's uh, that's a lot yeah, of players. That's a big group. It is, and it's it's a, a, as you know, I'm I, I do casting, of course, so I'm I'm very comfortable in front of a mic, and I realized that this translates really well to online role playing because. This is exactly the same setup I would use for a cast. Um, and I started – at first I started with five. One person dropped, so I went down to four. It was manageable. And then what was happening was people were in their homes or they were in their friends' homes and they would have their laptops or their computers out and they were playing the game. And after the session, the, the, the player would say, hey, is there room for one more? Because my friend was sitting here and they thought it was really cool. So maybe they could join. And I said, OK, yeah, sure. So that's happened twice now uh, with, with people who have been uh, spectating the game wanting to jump in. So that is nice. That's where we get to six. So, yeah, it, but it's it's a good group. It's it, they're, they're good people. And for the folks listening who maybe are not familiar with the idea of casting, what hmm. what is that? What does that mean? So. So if you a shout caster is someone who does play by play or color commentary of an esports an electronic sports event and my my home base for casting is Hearthstone um, you mentioned it at the top of the show I am you know I I spectate uh, games or tournaments of of Hearthstone and broadcast them with usually with another person and we commentate back and forth on the on the game on the tournament. Uh, and then it's broadcast on whatever channel. And I've done this for everything from, you know, small podcast leagues all the way up to uh, just recently we wrapped up production uh, for the World Esports Games, which is the uh, the organization based in China that has the big global Hearthstone tournament. Okay. Uh, so we did a number of casts for that. So it's been it's been a it's been a journey going uh, around the world, literally, you know, with my voice. And how did how did that come about? I, we'll come back to the D&D stuff, but just since you're sure. talking about that, how does one stumble or seek that out it's it, it goes back to originally first it cohen concede came first the podcast i was at the time uh, i was just getting into podcasting i was uh, as a listener and you know i was playing a lot of hearthstone and i just started downloading hearthstone podcasts starting consuming quite a bit of them actually and i had my favorites coin concede was pretty close to the top as i was listening to it uh, Kenny, who was the host of the show at the time, had put out a call and said they, you know, one of the hosts had stepped away. So they're kind of on hiatus while they went to figure things out. Uh, so if you know anybody who's interested in podcasting, let us know. And I was like, you know what? Could I do that? Mm-hmm. I wonder. Sure. And I and I had been on some podcasts before because, you know, we're talking about d and I've I've got a tabletop history going many, many years back and I've been on podcasts for other other games and but just as a guest, I'd never like done the thing. 
Um, so I, you know, I sent him a message. I said, Hey, you know what? I've been behind a microphone before and I like Hearthstone a lot. I, you know, I'm like a dad legend. I'm a rank five guy. Uh, so, you know, maybe, maybe I can pitch in and help out. And wouldn't you know it, a, a month later, I was buying a microphone off, uh, off the internet and a soundboard and diving in. And I stayed with Coin Concede for like almost a hundred episodes. Yeah, you were on and there for a while. Yeah, I think from about 20, episode 25 up to like past the hundreds. I was like in the hundred teens, I think, before I stepped away. Um, but what had happened was, uh, originally I was doing the show with Cora, Cora Georgiou Songbird, uh, and she is, she's a very successful caster in Hearthstone. Um, but she got started the same, literally the same place I did on the Coin Concede podcast. And she, she auditioned, uh, with Blizzard and, Ended up, you know, doing getting very regular gigs with uh, with the championship tour, and I I didn't have my eyeball on casting at the time. But one of the things we started to do for the podcast uh, was a listener league. Said, okay, let's let's put thing put something together for the as a like a Patreon reward uh, for the regulars. And part of the reward was that we would cast the matches for the for the listeners. Uh, and the first time I cast. I, I got off the mic and I was and I just thought to myself that was way too much fun. I need to do that some more. Yeah. And uh, you know I, it's, I already had the equipment right. I had everything set up for the podcast. So it, easy transition. It's just a different uh, you know different subject matter. So I started casting. I, I would I cast it in the for the leagues that I was playing in, uh, and then I just kind of naturally just started rolling into other things. People would approach me and say, Hey, look, I've got this tournament this Saturday. It's you know it's just little side thing it's not there's no money involved but we'd like to have it pre, you know semi-professionally cast and i'd say sure and i just kept doing that until somebody started throwing money at me i said okay well i guess i'm a caster now <laughs> it's official nice and how does that experience i mean because you were tying it into being a, a dm for for mm -hmm. D, D sessions how does that experience behind a mic sort of telling the story of a game as it's being played out how does that help you run a session you know, it, it is one of the things that I've found that translates really well. And, and I know anybody who's ever game mastered or dungeon mastered has kind of always run into that instance where the players have gone off of the rails sure. and you're you're not sure what to do next. Uh, but one of the things, one of the skills you pick up when you're casting a slow game like Hearthstone that has a lot of downtime is you, you kind of learn how to fill the air. Right. You, they call it they, people in the community refer to it as talk stone. Uh, so. Uh, you naturally just kind of learn how to do that. You know, you, you, the, the, the typical topics you can pick up on, the, the touchstones that you can use as talking points while there's no action on the on the screen. And I found that that is actually the skill that has translated the most into uh, DMing. You know, the the storytelling aspect I think is just a natural part of my personality. Uh, but that that has come into play so often. Where in fact, I, I ran my game last night and. Nothing that I'd planned happened. <laughs> so the players went into town and went on a totally different tangent. And and it was that. It was like, okay, well, I just kind of have to make it up now. I have to improvise and just do some things. And fortunately, playing online, I, you have – there's so many tools online now for, for GMs. Uh, and I go to uh, – are you, are you familiar with Donjon? It's, no, it's a website that, that – uh, Donjon, D-O-N-G-O-N.com. It's just, uh, it's a website that just has random stuff, like random end names, random NPCs, random monsters, random encounters, random dungeons. Okay. It's just, it's like everything. So if you're, if, if I need a name for Gnomish Innkeeper number 53, I just press the button and I have an, I have myself a name. Um, so that combined with being able to BS on the fly has has really come become very valuable as as a GM for me. Excellent. And so one of the things that we were kind of speculating about different topics to talk about is just um, creating structure for for sessions. You're talking about that right now. And mm -hmm. when you have when you spend some time ahead of a session planning, okay, I think this is going to happen, and the players go completely in a different direction. Mm -hmm. it, it sounds like you have some improv skills and feel comfortable dealing with that. Yeah. How do you go about preparing for a session? Because I know that's one of the things so many DMs online talk about. There's books about it. There's countless articles I've written about it in the past. What What is your practice? So I, 
kind of very loosely go off of uh, Sid Field's structure, you know, the, the, the author of the screenplay, which is the template for almost every movie that you will ever watch for the rest of your life. Um, you know, just breaking up stories into distinct acts. You know, the first act introduces the characters. The second act introduces the conflict and brings it to uh, a peak. And then the third act, there's, you know, the, the final conflict resolution and denouement. And uh, I, you can break that up into a bunch of different ways because it's so neatly symmetrical. And one of the, my favorite way to, to design a story arc is to have two to three sessions in Act One where we're establishing character, we're establishing plot, we're using a MacGuffin to get everybody in the same place. Two is where we introduce all of the conflict and you hit the plot twist at the end of two. So you, your episode or episodes, <laughs> uh, your sessions, you know, either, you know, three or four through six, that's your act two. And then seven, eight, nine can be your act three, right? Seven and eight can be like the big final conflict. Nine can be wrapping up loose ends. And I found that it's, it's, it's a template used in so, so many storytelling mediums and it, it works really well for tabletop as well. And you can also just also use that just in the space of one game session oh, yeah. where, you know, like, Oh, you're, you're, speaking to your benefactor or you're at the inn, you know, here's your, here's the party. Here's the reason you need to adventure. Bada bing into the adventure, twist the plot, you know, uh, escalate the conflicts, increase the, 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 the risk factor for the characters and then wrap it all up. So it's, yeah, I, it, it's so simple, but it works so well for me. And was it always that comfortable for you? Cause I think a lot of folks getting into, trying to be behind the screen and DM for the first time or even experience DM still talk about the anxiety that comes with that role. That's something mm. I've mentioned of, you know, you're performing and you want people to have a good time. And I, right. I, I take on a lot of pressure to make sure like everybody has a good game. And mm. that I think there's some pressure involved in that that can be intimidating or, or lead to burnout at times. So how have you dealt with that? Um, well, I mean, sometimes I get burned out. I, it, <laughs> okay. it, it happens, you know. Right. Um, it, but it, what I've, I've, I've tried different solutions for this. Um, one of the things that, that has worked well for me just in general is, uh, you know, figuring out where the confidence comes from to, to, to speak, you know, as, as a figure of authority, as a, as a GM. Um, and where I, where that comes from for me is just knowing a setting. Um, so I, I don't like to run games for settings. I don't know. Uh, when, when I decided to do Eberron, I read so many Eberron books ahead of the game. I, I was like, all right, guys, we're going to do this, but I need three months. <laughs> so let's, let's build characters. But in the meantime, I'm going to be doing a ton of research. And now that I'm, conf I'm comfortable with the setting, I can improvise, right? So if, if my, one of my characters decides to, uh, oh, hey, you know, we, we want to figure out how to kill a vampire. Where do we go for that? I'm like, well, uh, well I can throw you. So here's here's the, the, the library for the university that's in the city that you're in, in Trollimport. I can do that for you. Or you can go to the Church of the Silver Flame, who are adept at uh, fighting, you know, things that go bump in the night. And blah, and none of that was in the in the, in the, the story. The, the, the book was not written with that kind of research in mind, but, but I had read the books, right. and I knew – those things ahead of time. So that helps a lot. And I, if there's anything I can recommend, it's that because that you never want to be in a position where you're, you're being asked not directly, but by, by virtue of the, your player's actions, you're, you're being asked to improvise and you don't know it because that's what will stop a game in its tracks where you're flipping through books or you're just making stuff up that maybe not don't, doesn't gel with Canon, which can be really problematic if you have players who are familiar with the Canon. Uh, so like know your setting is is like my number one trick for dealing with like the anxiety of you know is this going to work out in the long run because honestly if you're doing it if you if you know this the material well enough the there's there's enough verisimilitude with the, the 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 written material that your players won't even know the difference my my players actually think I made this up. Like our campaign, I'm like, no, no, no. This is this is a pre-written adventure. This was written like ten years ago. I had I had no hands in this, but because I don't have to read off of the book page itself to run the game, they they have that confidence in me that I can tell a a, a convincing canonical story for them. And it reminds me of I got into a conversation 
a few weeks ago with uh, Sly Flourish, Mike Shea, who's a DM. He talks about a lot of a lot of tips. He writes articles for for Watsy from time to time, um, and has some books called The Lazy Dungeon Master. Free pitch for Mike. It's a good book. Go go pick that up. But he had a DM tip that he tweeted out that was more or less the same thing you're talking about. That if you're going to run an adventure, you know, spend a lot of time, read the adventure, kind of know what you're running ahead right. of time. And I had joke, I had joked with him, I'm like, that sounds an awfully lot like work. <laughs> <laughs> right. And just to play devil's advocate a bit, I think doing something, for example, D and D now, everything's set in the Forgotten Realms, and the Forgotten Realms to know that lore, it's enormous. It spans yeah. decades. And where do you start? To say, like, well, I'm going to run this campaign. You know, they kind of have these super adventures, these hardbound books. And I guess you could just stick with that book and that's all the lore you need to know. But even that is a pretty tall order to read through a book front and back and have that locked down in addition to a lot of other realms lore. It seems, I think, for some people who just want to run a game and maybe play it a a little bit fast and loose, that it's just a tall ask to yeah. sort of have all that in memory of knowing the world that you're in, even though it seems mm-hmm. very relevant that, yeah, if you're running the game, you should know what you're talking about. But I don't know. I don't think I'm alone in not having the time or really the motivation to, to know all that. I don't know. What, what, what have you experienced playing in games with other DMs, how people approach it? I, that's, that, that, that is a legitimate concern. I, I would think it's, I have I I'm, I'm I have the kind of brain that gets very obsessed with a setting once I start getting into it. Okay. Um, so this is a little foreign to me, but I but I, I will I can definitely jump into that shoe. Because, um, well, here's for example, I was I was recently inter- uh, uh, invited to a game um, using GURPS, and uh, it's it's a sci-fi setting totally of of the GM's creation. So I actually have no knowledge of the setting and honestly neither does he because he's kind of making it up as he goes along a little bit i mean he's got ideas but he's fleshing them out as we go um and what this this reminded me of a system um that is actually perfect for people who maybe don't have the time to work that stuff out but still want that that immersive experience um it's the um i think it's called the legend of the burning wheel and it's it's kind of a cooperative storytelling system in a sense because uh, the the GM and the players sit down together and actually create the world together. Okay. You 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 make the decisions as you go. What kind of do we want fantasy? Do we want sci-fi? Do we want this this and that? Okay, so what kind of game do we want? Okay, now what are the major players? Who are the important people? What's the major religion? And you kind of go through the system, making it up as you go along. And it's a really great uh, tool for people to you know, to, to cooperatively kind of like if you've ever sat around a campfire and you pass the story around, like everybody would tell a couple sentences and it would go to the next person and they would add to the story and then it kind of go around like that. And that's the game, right? And it, it, burning wheel feels a lot like that. Um, but even that might not be totally accessible for people. So what if you just want a generic fantasy or a generic sci-fi campaign? I mean, you don't have to be in a specific game world either, right? Like you can just be, my character's a fighter. That's my concept. My concept is he has armor and a shield and he has a sword. And sometimes that's enough. You know, so if if the goal is to sit down with your friends with a character sheet and some dice and, you know, roll and kill some zombies and collect the loot at the end of the day, that's fine. You know, it, 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 there's there's no requirement that you have to be totally immersed in a setting, you know, canonically, you know, a, a, pure you know to to have fun you can have fun with with anything even with just generic you know tolkien-esque setting where we're gonna go fight the orcs and come back to town and drink beer or ale or meat or whatever it might be right yeah and it's interesting with some of the settings i, I, I you know i can't speak for other players but when i think of D, i have this idea of what that means in my head mm-hmm. and i'm sure for other people who are much more steeped and like they've read the novels and they've been playing much more frequently than me for decades, like what, what D is to them, like what that setting is, is something different. Yeah. And like Eberron, Eberron is different from the realms, different from Ravenloft setting. And so there's different ways you can play these games. I just don't, I just find all the different approaches pretty fascinating. Of oh, yeah. How different D, DMs come to running a game. 
like how they prepare, right. how they execute it. In terms of like as game flow and managing players, you said you have six players on uh-huh. an online game. How do you manage all that? Because that, that's a lot of a lot to keep track of. So in I, I have two modes kind of uh, for my games. I, I switch between you know role playing and and adventure and. Uh, when when they're doing role playing, like last night, they they went into a major city and they're looking for you know the rogue agent that went missing and you know they're trying to find him so they can bring him back to the king. Um, and so what they what the players did and this kind of happened organically was they split up. Said okay, these three are going to go this way and these three are going to go this way, and then it became two parallel storylines that I was able to juggle back and forth. Right. Like I give, I give this group five to 10 minutes of investigation and role play with NPCs. And then I just switch to the others. And it's actually really great for online because people have to get up and use the bathroom or, you know, let the dogs out or, you know, whatever. So you can kind of come in and out of the game as you go. And in fact, we have a, we, we have a couple of players who drive for uh, meal delivery services. Okay. So, so they put, they, when, when, if they're on the shift during the game, they'll put their phones, on the dashboard and turn on discord because we, we use discord for voice okay and they'll just they'll just play that way and they'll just be like oh hey jace can you roll the dice for me i'm like hey no problem i got it that's hilarious <laughs> as long as you're in character i don't care i'll do all the all, all the detail work um but then now when it comes to combat combat can be a real bear um so i have been relying heavily on electronic tools to help me manage combat because combat between six people can get really boring if people take a long time on their turns. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, uh, mercifully fifth edition is, is really straightforward with combat. You, you get your, you get your move, you get your action, you're done, right? You might have a reaction, but that's about it. Um, I use roll 20 for a virtual table. And since I have graphic design background, I do my own maps. I do my own tokens. So players don't have to do, you know, mess with that. Uh, and then, for initiative, I use Cobalt, uh, uh, Cobalt Fight Club. Okay. Um, it's a, both a website and an app, and you know you just punch in the character's stats and just tell it to track initiative for you, and you know it's one click tracking and uh, management of, of initiative. So that's been like super super helpful because there's if there's one thing I always get lost in it's initiative. I always forget whose turn it is. So having the app has been like a, a lifesaver for me. Great. So it sounds like those tools are really helpful in managing the flow of the game. Yeah. Are there ever, I mean, you mentioned like some like combat being a challenge. How do you keep that going? And a fifth edition is certainly more streamlined than fourth edition, which I enjoyed, mm-hmm. though the yeah. combat could get really bogged down. But how do you encourage faster play? You know, we, the group I have has been pretty quick on the ball as far as what they can do. Because, you know, we've kind of clearly... Uh, defined who does what in combat. We have our spell slingers, we have our melee combatants, we have our ranged characters, and, and our characters who try to avoid combat as much as possible, and that's okay. Um, and really, they all kind of have their regular, like, two or three actions that they stick to frequently, like the, the spells they use the most or the attacks they use the most. And Roll20 is super helpful, too, because you can plug in your character sheet ahead of time, and they have a 5th edition official sheet so if you have advantage or resistance or whatever, it will pre-calculate those things for you. So all you have to do is just press the button to make an attack roll or a save or whatever, and it does it for you. You don't have to, like, fumble around with your sheet trying to figure out your bonuses. So that's that's been super helpful, too. Um, but for the most part, like, when I, even when I'm doing combat, I, I am a stickler for narration. And this comes from playing the old uh, pen and paper RPG uh, Feng Shui. Okay. I don't know if you know it. Um, and Feng Shui, the system for Feng Shui was if the, the more dramatically you describe your action, the more bonuses the GM had to give you. Nice. So I always carried that forward into all my games. So when, whenever the, the, if, if somebody says, uh, I'm going to attack that ogre right there, I will spend 30 seconds narrating the action from, you know, from that to you know, the resolution after I roll the dice to tell them how it happened. So it kind of ends up they, they they kind of almost reflexively, you know, minimize their mechanical decisions so that they can tell the story a little bit better. Because when I do it, they do it. Right. So they'll because you're, mo- you're modeling that behavior. Sure. Right. Yeah. So that if, if they see me flourishing uh, 
verbally about, you know, whatever spell was just cast, they're going to do the same thing because it's fun. And not everybody can do it off the off the cuff, but, you know, they, they get into it. And that's that's why I do it, you know. And what is it like when a player who maybe doesn't feel that comfortable or just kind of forgets about it is like, uh, I'm going to attack that skeleton there and just makes the attack. Like, will you jump in and say, well, here's what your character does, where you sort of take ownership of describing it? Oh, uh, every time. So okay. let's say we had a we had a we had a skeleton fight not that long ago, and we, who, who doesn't was, have a skeleton fight every once right, in a while? At, at some point, right? I mean, in Eberron, there's even a faction that makes like practical use of their dead, and they reanimate their dead soldiers for shock troops. So like, they're always really good bad guys to have around because they'll just have random skeletons and zombies just to throw at you. Um, so we had, in fact, it was a we had a new player the night that I had a big skeleton fight. Um, and it was a little bit like that. You know, he's like, oh, you know, I'd like to go attack that one right there. And I, and I said, okay, make your roll. So he makes the roll. And I say, well, uh, your your character, you know, raises their broadsword high and comes down with a diagonal strike and cuts through the, the rib cage of the skeleton and bits of bone marrow spray into the into the, the cavern around you and make a clattering noise as it loses nine hit points you know and it's you know it doesn't take a lot of effort i mean it takes practice to be comfortable doing that kind of stuff mm-hmm. but once you once you start getting into it like it's infectious like everybody likes to do it you know so it's it and and that let's like i said they they tend to to make the mechanical decisions quickly so they can get to the fun part do you let players know ahead of time that you're going to be doing that? Or is it just something that they figure it out pretty quickly just from the way you run combat? Uh, it's, you know, it, it's just how I, how I narrate. So it's, you know, it, it, it comes out naturally, you know, the first session and it, it just becomes the standard. Cool. Yeah. I, I like that approach because I think, because you, you talked about having sort of two different phases of the game, like role playing or adventuring mm-hmm. in combat. And I, I do think any addition, regardless of, you know, how long the combat takes, if it just turns into, well, I attack, here's what I roll, here's the damage I do. If it just yeah. turns into 10, 15, 20 minutes of that, it's it's really rough. Um, mm. So making sure that there's descriptions and, you know, I've been on some conversations online where people talk about, well, like ask the player after they hit or describe their killing blow, it sounds like you want them to describe every blow and you're trying to set that standard rather than, well, if it's not really a major attack, then we'll just do a quick damage roll and see what happens. I I like that approach. I think it would be interesting if players who are a little bit more reluctant to do that, if, if they would feel a little pressured in some way. Yeah. And and I'm sure they do. And, and and believe me, I, I never, I never pressure anyone to do anything. Like my one of my first rules of gaming is, uh, this is this is consent. This is you know we're we're playing pretend. Mm -hmm. So you you only do as much as you're comfortable with. Sure. And that includes you know self description. That includes you know we we have you know we we have non binary characters. You know so it's Mm -hmm. whatever you are comfortable with, we will respect it at the table. Uh, And that includes how much you describe your character. You know some people are just more comfortable you know, getting into character in other ways and that's okay. And, you know, I try my best to work in, everyone has fun differently and I try to work that in as much as possible, and you on, know, in, when I'm doing my games. And on the flip side, hmm. do you ever have players try to describe the monster actions? I think sometimes and yeah. usually I'm okay with it. Okay. Yeah. You know, Cause it, you know what it, like I said, if it's fun, go for it. I, I've, th- there's a great, we had a great example of this. Um, I was playing. I was running Shadowrun, and the party they they, they were tasked with um, with kidnapping. Actually, they were they were they were trying to leverage uh, like a corporate executive, and they ended up coming up with the idea of kidnapping uh, the daughter, but not kidnapping her in a malicious way. They're like, "Hey, why don't you come clubbing with us?" and like getting her into some some teenage trouble, you know, with hanging out with some some unsavory characters at the at the, the nightclub. And then like blackmailing the father with pictures, like, "Hey, your your daughter's over here drinking underage. Like, maybe you should do what our employer wants you to do." I mean, Shadowrun is a game about criminals, so you know these kinds of things happen. But um, what had happened was at, 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 towards the end of the scene, um, 
somebody, not not one of the party members, one of the NPCs, like a security guard or something, uh, was knocked out, and his biomonitor triggered uh, a dock wagon response. Dock wagon is kind of like a for-profit uh, combat medic uh, ambulatory service. So combat characters all, all very frequently have contracts with dock wagon or similar services, so that if they get shot and they need to be removed and their you know, the companions can't do it, Doc Wagon will come in and pick up your character. Okay. Um, so this I, I had this happen because it can be a great complication for combat mm-hmm. because then because if, if Doc Wagon's working for the bad guys, then you have to deal with more it's like reinforcements by by virtue of you know in game or in setting uh, contract work, right? And uh, what, however it had happened, the, the, the players had kind of organically described how Doc Wagon came on the scene. And with the, like the last surviving bad guy jumps in his car and tries to get away. And Doc Wagon comes in and like rear ends the guy and sandwiches him in between like his car and the car in front of him. And it was hilarious. Like how the way they described it was I, I had no plans for this to happen. They were just kind of like, hey, did, 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 was there a dock wagon, you know, response coming? And I'm like, oh, yeah, it was coming this way. And one of the players was like, wouldn't it be funny if blah, blah, blah. And I said, yes, that would be hilarious. That's right. what happened. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I just, you know, roll with it. Like if if the players are having fun with it, go for it. I mean, how often do players ever do what you expect them to do? So why do the monsters have to follow the same rules? Right. Yeah. Well, and just in generally with with world building, I, I think the. The template for a lot of groups is that, you know, the DM sort of creates the adventure or is pulling from a, a book, like a published material like, like you're doing, and kind of the players are more reactive to that mm-hmm. material, um, as opposed to something like you're describing where it's a little bit of a give and take, where the players are maybe creating some of that fiction and background and lore on the fly. Um, yeah. And I, and I think... You know, again, some of the online conversations about that, about how comfortable are DMs sort of turning the keys over to the players of even something as simple of like, hey, what's the name of this town or what's the name of this inn or mm-hmm. this monster has a unique characteristic. What would it be? Oh. And just sort of giving the players a little bit more ownership over the world building. That's it's an interesting question. How, what are your thoughts about it? Uh, you, you reminded me again of Feng Shui. Which okay. you know it's it is and if if you're not familiar with it, Feng Shui was a cinematic martial arts RPG. So if you've ever watched any wuxia films, you know from coming out of Hong Kong during the 80s and 90s, like it was that, but as a as an RPG. And there's so much focus on narration. There was there there's this is a rule in the book. If you if one of your players names a, a generic bad guy, like okay, here come you know, five Kung Fu thugs to, you know, do whatever, beat you up. If you give one of them a name or some kind of descriptive thing, like, oh, attack that guy over there with the yellow headband, like the, the rules d- dictate that you have to basically level up that NPC to a bigger bad guy status. <laughs> so, 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 and, and then sometimes they would use this to create their own adversaries. So a player might be like, Wow, I really want to raise the stakes in this combat. So, oh man, it's you know it's it's the chief of of the the Wing Tong clan from this part of Chinatown. That guy, you know, and and suddenly an Not NPC left block. Eye Tom. Oh my goodness! <laughs> right. We yeah. So so all of a sudden, you know, a stat block block gets created. Like it creates more work for the GM. But that's kind of part of the agreement that you have when you're when you're sitting down for Feng Shui. Um, and it, and it, I, that's the I I love cooperative world building. I mean, there's there's certainly an attractiveness to crafting a, a game world uh, of one's own and, and crafting your own adventure. But players have agency and. And and I I think having them have some agency over the world building as well as just their characters is a good thing as well. And you know, and if you don't want to violate canon, if you don't want to have them change the king, you know, in in a particular setting, like you know, you can say no, 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 let's keep some of these things the same and have that agreement with your players. But if they want to name important NPCs, if they want to name the inn that they that they're at, let them. Why not? I mean, it's is if that's how they're enjoying the game, then roll with it. And I think it's something that 
it would be helpful to model if you want to experiment with that a little bit. There's different ways you can you can do it. You can, you know, ask the players of, you know, hey, we're heading into this town. Do any of your characters know somebody from this town? And that is kind of a maybe a more harmless way to get that kind of feedback. Or saying like, hey, there's five goblins in this room, and one of them looks a little different from the others, but what is it about this goblin that's unique? And like, like just soliciting that, just trying to get the players into that mindset. I was playing, mm-hmm. my group were playing through Tales of the Yawning Portal. I think the last game, I can't remember exactly how it came up. The, they were going through some of the Citadel and it's this room where goblins are doing archery practice. Mm-hmm. And I think I kind of hinted that they were drunk, but the players <laughs> just sort of ran, ran with it. Where right. Then it turned into where the goblins were playing this game and the one goblin had lost a bed and they were arguing. And it, it was supposed to be a little bit of a, potential ambush situation uh-huh. and where it could have turned into a longer combat, but just the way it played out, the goblins were just incredibly drunk and died very quickly. But I was like, that's fine. You know, right. There's enough combat in this adventure that them mopping the floor with these wasted goblins off. Oh, I forget what the exact, it was some kind of nasty goblin wine or something. Uh, <laughs> but I think just being open to, saying like, well, the book says this, but the group's going in this other direction. It's okay to change it. Oh yeah. Like that, that is, that, that is a huge toolbox for, for any GM. Like if, if you don't like the way the book has something written, change it. If you don't like this scene, get rid of it. There's the, the, the book that I'm running right now, Whispers of the Vampire's Blade. They, there, there's a segment of the adventure where you're going from one major city to the other, and it's like two weeks of land travel if you're, you know, just walking and you know using a, har- a cor- horse and cart. And they go into, for some reason, the the writer of the, the module went into great detail about how many encounters there were on the road, and they had an encounter table and everything. But I had mapped it out, and even though the chances were low of having an encounter. The frequency of the, 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 the amount of times you made the encounter check made it basically inevitable that you would have like 10 to 15 encounters Jeez. in between the two cities. I'm like, that's a, that's a campaign in itself. Oh, yeah. Like, there's no way. So I ended up, you know, I, I, I was like, can I make this work the way it was intended? And I decided that I couldn't. So, like, they ended up having like two road encounters. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, yeah, it took you two weeks, but these are the two major events that happened along the way. And, speckle in some role playing with random NPCs on the road to make it a little more realistic. And so, yes, absolutely. Like you, as the GM, you, the, the world is yours, even if someone else wrote it, you know, it's, it's, it's your story to tell and it doesn't have to match what is written down and it doesn't have to match what other campaigns have done. You, you tell your own story, even, even if it comes from a, a prepackaged adventure. You know, think you're, you play games online, you're, you're, you're streaming, or like, you know, Hearthstone content. Like, what, what are tools that you need in either one of those capacities that you don't have right now? Uh, I, I would like two more screens <laughs> for my okay. computer for, for, you know, like I have a browser, I have a, a group of browser tabs for my, for my D&D Beyond uh, stuff, you know, monster tables, the character sheets, etc. I, I need a screen just for the, for the Roll20 virtual table. And then need like another screen for like my books and my text notes and things. I would, I would just like to have more screen real estate. You need like that minority thing. report, like virtual screen yeah. where you can just <laughs> yes. be sliding your hand around and doing all kinds of stuff. Oh man, that would be so cool. Um, like I, I've, every time I, I look at the tools that are available online for, for GMs, even in and for players, really like, I'm just always amazed at how far we've come. Like I remember in the early aughts, like trying to play on AOL and, just having nothing, you know, it was just text based and that's all you had. So we're st- we were still primarily playing, you know, via tabletop. Of course, you know, as the way life goes, your friends move to different towns and stuff. Oh yeah. And, you know, and that, uh, I don't want to go too far down this tangent, but like that, that was a big reality for me. Um, because I'm from new Orleans and when Katrina hit everyone I knew left, yeah. I, I was they living my in friends. Houston in that time, and there were so oh, many go. people that, that came in from New Orleans and just never left. Yep. Yeah, and, and, and that happened to almost everyone I knew. I, I, I now have friends from one in, from East Coast to West Coast, North and South, and they, they just all scattered to the four winds. So when it came time for us to say, hey, we, 
we miss playing D&D or we miss playing Shadowrun. Like, how are we going to do that? Well, we had to turn to online tools and the stuff we had available in 2005 versus the stuff we have available now is just incredible. There's so much out there. I'm, I'm every every week I'm bookmarking a new site. It's like, oh, that's really useful. I need to use that. Yeah, it, it is amazing how much it, content there is. Um, and, and for me now, I'm older. I, I have a son. And I've talked about this before on, on other episodes, but it's it's difficult to find the time to play games, mm. whether it's D&D, whether it's Hearthstone, whether it's Red Dead Redemption 2, which I'm really enjoying, but it's just it's a big game and it takes a long time to get through it. Um, just time management is a factor. So how do you, oh, yeah. how do you prioritize all the stuff that you do and balance? Uh, badly. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. Like, Good answer. Yeah, right. Um, it's the sleep has definitely taken a hit in, in, you know, in the more I've gotten online to, to do things. Um, but you know, it's, it's just kind of like, do I have is do I have the time to do this thing and what needs to be moved aside to do it? Um, and I have I have my wall of shame of RPGs, console RPGs that have never been finished, uh, as I know a lot of people do. So like that's a testament to my general failure of, of time management. Um, but for if for right now, so I have I have two campaigns going. I'm playing in Eberron and I'm uh, or excuse me I'm running the Eberron game and I'm playing in a Shadowrun game. Um, and we have like pretty strict time blocks because we got people in different time zones and different responsibilities. So we're, there was a time in my life where I was playing 24 hours plus, you know, role playing games in person. And that, that is ancient history. Now we have both of them. Both of my games have three hour windows and they're pretty strict. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's, it's one of the, and it, and it occurs to me as I'm saying this, that one of the big things that always got us off track when you're in person is just the chitter chatter, right? Oh, yeah. Just the BS stuff. Just, sure. yeah. Chewing, chewing the fat, getting out of character and stuff. When I'm running and playing these online games, people sit in character and they don't budge. Like there, there are never tangents anymore. Cause people know that if we go off on a tangent, we're never getting back on. Cause you know, we're wrapping it up in an hour. Um, so like I kind of, at least when it comes to running my games, I plan for two encounters is what I'm doing right now. You're going to have, you know, wherever you are in the story, you're going to have, you know, a lead up encounter and then like a, like a, a set piece encounter. Like this is, this is a big plot point. This is, we're going to hit that. And I try to hit one plot point every week or every session rather. Um, but you know, sometimes it doesn't happen, but again, like if the players are having fun, dragging things out and going on you know their own little side quests uh, instead of chasing down the the main plot let them you know it's it's there three hours so you know let's let's have fun together and uh follow this tangent why not yeah i'm currently running a like i said tales of yawning portal campaign which if we play once a month in person that's awesome and there's another campaign where i'm a player where we're playing tomb of annihilation and again, that's like once a month. And that's, so if I play twice a month, it's like I'm living large. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've thought about trying to start an online game because that in theory is maybe a little bit easier logistically to work out. Um, mm -hmm. but it would still be it's probably, like you said, three hours during an evening having a consistent time. And if I'm doing that, then I'm not doing other things. And just the time management piece is just more and more of a challenge as I get yeah. older. I sound like an old man, but it's, uh, well, <laughs> not nearly as easy as it used to be. No, no. As you just as time goes on, we just add more things to the plate. Uh, I mean, I'm with you. I, I I grew up in the '80s, you know. So I, I I'm I always make the joke that you know when uh, the the stereotypical teenager would would have you know maybe like a, a naughty magazine under the under their their pillow. I had the Monster Manual. Right. <laughs> like I, I was I was a D&D &D kid from early because I, I grew up with AD&D. &D. I grew up with mm -hmm. I at, at some point I had the pink box. Right. I have no idea where it is now, but but we had it. We played with it in high school. Um, so like it's always it's always been a part of my life. Uh, but yeah, like now there's so many things to do, like video games and, you know, casting like I'm I have a I have a job online. Like, that I have to do. So like that that can't mix in with uh, with anything else I want to do online. I can't play a video game and cast a Master of Hearthstone. Like I've got to, 
you know, gotta, gotta make room for, for the other stuff. And maybe in the final few minutes, since you bring up Hearthstone, it's one of the games that I stay connected to. I, I probably play that every day a little bit, whether it's on the treadmill or during a lunch break or something. What is, I, I guess, you know, you have much more invested in that game than I do since you're casting it. And I, mm-hmm. just the more I, as time goes on, I'm just amazed at how many people sort of have built up careers or built up like quite a bit of their hobby free time is devoted to a game that is just digital like in some ways it's not tangible at all it doesn't exist they could just decide Mm -hmm. like hey uh we're not going to support this game anymore to go away and then we're all left with well what do we do now i don't think that would ever happen but it's just the fact that the the potential is out there where this card collection that i've cultivated over years and all the hours i spent playing this game would just sort of vanished into thin air. I find that dynamic sort of fascinating. Uh, yeah. Just what is it like for you? Cause you're more into it than me. Just what is it about that community? What's appealing? What's a little bit not appealing about it? Just if you can tell me a bit about your experience. So I, I will say this, um, the, the fear of the content disappearing is very real. Um, you know, I, I, like I said, I grew up with AD and D, um, and, you know, other stuff. I, I have a shelf full of Warhammer Fantasy Battles in my garage. Mm-hmm. And I may not have touched it in years, but it, if I'm an old man in a retirement home in, in, in 40 years, I can still play it. Right. I still have it. I still have the books. Like, it's, it's a, it, I, it will never go away except to, like, you know, the ravages of time. Um, but, like, yeah, like Hearthstone, if they ever pull the plug on Hearthstone, it's, it's just gone. Mm-hmm. So all the time, all the, the money... That, it, that people have spent in, uh, on that game is is gone, but but I, I don't want to get caught up in like the material ownership of it because you touched on the fact that that what is what is it about the community that keeps me engaged in the in the game, and that is actually it. The 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 Hearthstone community, the competitive the, the the competitive community, and the content creation communities are amazing. I'm I'm gonna make n- you know, no bones about it. I'm queer. And I have a lot of friends who are queer and trans and like every color of the rainbow. Mm-hmm. And when um, there was a prominent figure in our community, uh, she came out as trans. And in, a, in online video games typically have what you would expect to be like a toxic culture, right? You know, the mostly boys clubs that, you know, girls aren't allowed and, you know, things that are gay or bad and da 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 da, right? The amount of love and support that got poured out for her was incredible. I mean, I floored with with the amount. Not a single negative thing was said. Her video got like tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of views. It just went around the world, right? And it was nothing but support. And 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 that really exemplified the the culture in the Hearthstone community. People are accepting, they're loving, they're caring, they're supportive, and we're all here just to play a kid's card game. Um, so like I, that is absolutely what has kept me in the game. I've made more friends playing Hearthstone than any other activity I've ever done. Yeah. It's been just for me, I think you describe yourself as like casually competitive or, you know, you Mm -hmm. mentioned dad legend before, you know, shout out to the dad legend folks. Um, (laughs) it is like you said, like a kid's card game. It's like the animation and the sound effects and all that. And then there is another layer to it, or multiple layers, mm-hmm. many of which I haven't reached because there's people doing things that I'm like, what? Because <laughs> um, there is, I think, a lot of nuance to it. But but the community seems uh, overall very positive. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's one of the things that, that hooked me into playing that game. Um, like I remember watching videos of... Kibler and some of the other people like just talking about the game, being excited about it, being welcoming to other people, asking questions, um, being supportive of each other as like, Hey, this person's streaming or watch this video. And it does seem like it's, I don't know, overall welcoming place. If you go to the front page of Reddit, sometimes not so much. Um, Oh boy. So I don't, I don't do that. I just kind of stay away from (laughs) Just don't bother with the Reddit. It's probably a, probably for the best. Probably for the best. Um, but no, I mean, the, the game, I think they've done a good job of trying to engage the, the community. I, I think there's growing pains with, with everybody in that regard of the relationships between the intellectual property and the 
streamers. It's like everyone's vying for attention. And like the game benefits from popular streamers playing the game and the streamers mm-hmm. benefit from being connected to the game itself. And it's just, I, I find just all those dynamics really fat. Again, not to overuse the word fascinating, but just really interesting. Um, oh yeah. That whole ecosystem. Like I remember it was, I don't know, 2016, maybe I had reached out to disguise toast. I was like, Hey, it'd be great to interview you. And, mm-hmm. and now two and a half years later, He's so hugely successful. Like he right. would never have time for me, <laughs> which is, oh, yeah. which is fine. But it's like, he put out that video of like, here's what I make and just being very transparent. And that's amazing. Just that he's that successful and has put in all that time and, and work. And just as someone who plays the game and I, you know, I got legend once and I checked that off the list and it's, it's something that's very much a part of my free time. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of like the D&D community. I think there's a lot of support and a lot of cool content creators out there doing really unique things. Um, so it's been interesting to be on the outskirts of that, trying to sort of latch onto it a little bit. Yeah, I, I feel that. Um, I, if, you know, I, I describe myself as casually competitive and, and just to, to quickly define that, like I, I have a competitive mindset when it comes to games, but I don't have the time it takes to devote to being a competitive player. Um, so, I, so I like to keep my skill set up at least as, you know, cause it's important for casting at the very least. Oh yeah. Um, but like, I, I will also take the opportunity to go to big tournaments. So I've, I've been to a few dream hacks now, mm-hmm. um, for, for their tournaments, which usually draw, you know, a couple hundred players and they always draw like some of the top players from around the world. And, it's it's pretty amazing how down to earth and friendly and welcoming like the the, the top streamers and players are because you could you could absolutely uh, imagine that they might have kind of a you know I don't want to get bogged down talking to randos on the tournament floor but they do they 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 they're they're people they're just like us and and they they love to interact with with other people and find others like themselves around the world. One of my favorite players is Orange. He's uh, he's from Sweden, mm-hmm. and he has been very open and vulnerable uh, with his anxiety disorder, which yeah. a lot of people a lot of people struggle with anxiety quietly, you know, either due to shame or stigma or whatever. And he just came out and said, "Hey, looks, you know what? Sometimes I just want to go home from a tournament and roll myself into a ball and cry, you know, because I just can't handle." everything that's going on around me and it just it, it turns me into you know panic and, and i i feel that i feel that a hundred percent because i deal with anxiety too and he's if you've ever talked to him he's just like the nicest guy ever you know it's like oh hey orange and he'll he'll say oh hi i don't know who you are but here come get a hug you know i love you you're great thank you for saying hi to me you know and you can just talk to him about whatever you want and he will sit there and take all the time in the world and and i use him as an example but they're all like this mm-hmm. like or maybe a few exceptions but all of the top players even though they kind of have their own cliques that they formed because they practice together and stuff they still take all the time in the world to like just talk to people and be a part of the community and 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 welcome people you know when when you're at an event so yeah it's i, I feel it 100 percent, man yeah you know orange has been open about things you know uh Racy's been very open about like health issues yep. that he's dealing with. <laughs> and, you know, I, I've been really impressed by that. You know, I, I think just being a psychologist, it's just interesting watching people be self-disclosing about those issues, mm-hmm. which, which I think is great because I think we all need to be more open about that stuff anyway. I think everybody could benefit from therapy. I'm in therapy. I talk about that pretty openly. Um, mm-hmm. I wrote an article, I guess about a year and a half ago about, kind of anger and anxiety management as it relates to laddering in Hearthstone, which is yeah. one of the more fun things I had that I, I mean, fun, but I just really got into it and like created PowerPoint slides of like, here's how to deal with <laughs> anger and anxiety in Hearthstone and sort of made it into a class um, and uploaded it to my blog. But it's, it's such an interesting game. And the fact that it's just always available, like at mm-hmm. any time of any day or night, I can find a game of Hearthstone, which is just yeah. completely different from my D&D experience, where if at any time of day where they had something similar of like, hey, there's all these D&D games going on, and any time you can just sort of jump into one and play an encounter and then leave. Like, the D&D doesn't work that way, but it it would sort of be fascinating if it did. I don't know. Just, it's, it's interesting that Hearthstone is just so readily available. Yeah, no, I, and, and I think that's kind of what has been a major part of its 
continuing successes is that it's it only takes five to ten minutes to play a game uh and you but you can play it anywhere uh and anytime really you know I'm, unless you hit a priest lunch. mirror or a warrior mirror or something mm, like that yeah <laughs> the, the occasional odd warrior mirror might take a while but uh, if if you're playing on your lunch break i would advise you to not queue up garage like maybe reach for you know the hunters and the paladins instead it's the worst when you're like oh, i just want to play a quick game and then it's like you queue into a warrior you're like no oh yeah. this is the worst i've i've been late from f- coming back from lunch a couple times for that for sure so speaking of our now are you still uh streaming quite a bit on, on twitch you know, I tried to stream, um, and honestly, my own anxiety really kind of got the best of me, which seems strange because I cast very regularly, um, but I have not streamed for myself in many years, um, and I don't know that I will. Uh, it's it's tough. It's getting over that hump of, like, why am I doing this? Who's listening? Who cares? You know, right. watching some dude play a game by himself. That's a that's a big wall to get over, and I have like the utmost respect for people who can do it because it I I couldn't, and I ended up not going back to streaming after I tried it for a while. Yeah, I I've like tried it from time to time just to see. I, I don't think it's a skill set I have. I need to practice a lot. It's tough mm-hmm. just to talk into a void. Yeah, and yeah, it's- you're like I have all these thoughts about. Well, here's why I'm making this play. Here's why I wouldn't do this. But just to externalize that and just get in the habit of always doing that, it's – I would find myself like, oh, man, it's been like 90 seconds. I haven't said anything. That's not good. <laughs> <laughs> right. And like my my worst fear about streaming is having to deal with toxic people in my chat room. Yeah. And, and, I, and, I, and I, mean, I realize you can mod other people, but you know, when, when, you, when you only have two viewers, I mean – who do, you, who do you mod like you gotta there's you may not be big enough to, to to have a mod that you can you can put in your channel and the worst thing i because social interaction trig, triggers my anxiety so bad i mean like i am i am general i have general generalized anxiety but i also have like a more acute social anxiety and having to deal with people like random people who are being crappy is is a huge offset to me and and i i can't I have a very difficult time handling it. So like the one time I had somebody come in chat and start trolling, like I just shut the stream down. It wasn't like I'm going to mod you and ban you and right. block you. Like I, I was just like, you know what? Forget it. It's not worth it. It's not worth my anxiety getting riled up for one dude on Twitch. Yeah. I, I And it, for me, it's a cost benefit analysis. So like even this evening, like I'm, I very much appreciate your time. Excited to be sure. chatting about the ND and Hearthstone. Uh, but it's like, this is a choice. I could record a podcast or I could play Red Dead or catch up on one of like 800 shows that I'd like to watch that I'm way behind. On. Right. Um, or, you know, just kind of zone out and do nothing, spend time with my wife. Like, it, every night, I think there's those choices. And I, I think the anxiety, if there's something that is adding to your anxiety more so than it's something you enjoy, then I think it's fair to say, mm-hmm. you know what, this isn't for me. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't need to do this because... Everybody else I see on Twitter and Twitch is doing it. Like I can just do my own thing. Right. And, and that's kind of what it was. I, I saw other people doing it and I wanted to try it and see what the appeal was because I enjoyed watching. I said that maybe I would enjoy doing and turns out I, I didn't. I, I would rather be playing by myself. Like when I play Hearthstone, that's my by myself time. So I don't have to interact with anybody. I can just, right. you know, cue in on the game and block out all of my external stressors and just kind of maybe not relax, but at least, you know, not focus my my never-ending brain on something that is inconsequential, you know. So it is it's therapeutic in that way. So I I, I don't want to have to be socializing and 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 triggering my anxiety while I'm trying to zone out, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. So I I again I thoroughly appreciate your time. If folks yeah. wanted to to reach out to you, like you know, have follow up questions or just you know want want to follow you on Twitter or something, how can they do that? Uh, so my Twitter is at sender ascendant and, uh, it's might be tough to spell, but you know, I, I, I bet you have show notes. So please check out the show notes, uh, for the correct spelling. Uh, but yeah, I, I pretty much live my life on, on Twitter when I'm not doing other things. Uh, it's, it's just basically where all the Hearthstone community lives. Uh, so that's where I've parked my, my on- online persona for the most part. But I'm also in discords. So if you're in uh, any of the other content discords, so I might be in there. 
from you know podcasts to uh, to tournaments. In fact, you uh, you had my good friend Wicked Good on your show not that long ago. Yes, yeah, he's um, great. And his podcast um, Off Curve has a Discord now. So like I'm in those kind of places uh, if you want to. But my name is the same everywhere. It's Sender Ascendant. If you see that, uh, it's probably me. Uh, unless it's my evil twin, in which case report him to the FBI immediately. Yes. And like, do you ever post like casting schedules or how, how can people hear you uh, um, do some of that? So casting is, it's because it's kind of a gig thing. Yeah. Part of the, it's really kind of the, 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 the gig economy. It, it can be, sometimes it can come up with, with very short notice, but when I do cast, I will absolutely post it on Twitter. Assuming I remember, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I, I regularly, ca- I'm casting for, uh, well, I've, I'm trying to stay away from the, the camera, uh, but I do help quite a bit with the Badass Women of Hearthstone tournament. Nice. Um, so, so if you're watching that, uh, there's a good chance that I'm actually behind the uh, OBS pushing the buttons uh, for the casters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, it's, but I do sometimes cast there. Uh, I cast for uh, Team Hearth Legends on usually on Friday nights, sometimes on Thursdays for uh, their feature matches every week. Uh, and then if you happen to be looking forward to the House Rivalries uh, event that's coming up, it's, it's going to be a team-based format for Hearthstone. Uh, it starts next month. There's a North American and a European bracket, and it's actually uh, three-person teams from actual esports organizations uh, that will be playing team matches uh, for, for this uh, tournament group thing they can't say league anymore blizzard got really touchy about the word league mm. uh so like all these independent productions had to stop saying league uh so it's it's a it's a tournament series thing <laughs> but house rivalries is coming up next month and i absolutely will be casting for that and i will be casting with wicked good because he and i have cast a lot of matches together and we uh not to toot my own horn but he and i are great together and it's a lot of fun awesome yeah yeah I look forward to that so um, I really appreciate both of you guys coming on the show here in recent months. Yeah. And, uh, you know, definitely if you want to hop back on and chat about some more D&D and Hearthstone or other topics, uh, it'd be great to chat with you once again. Oh, yeah. I, I, I love it. I talk about any game that's the, the, under the sun. I, there's a good chance I've at least tried it once. So anytime. Awesome. Well, thank you. And I hope you have a great rest of the month. Same. 